You're listening to a podcast from DTB. Welcome to the In This Issue podcast for DTB, volume 48, number 4, April 2010. I'm Michael, editorial assistant on DTB, and with me is David Fazakali, deputy editor. Hello. In the editorial in this month's issue, we discuss prescribing support software such as ScriptSwitch, which is increasingly being utilised by primary care trusts. David, perhaps you would be able to explain some more for us. General practices have used computerised clinical systems for many years, and they use them to record consultations, investigations, and increasingly moving to a kind of paperless management of, the, of, of patients. One thing that uh, the clinical systems do do is provide uh, prescriptions and give the clinician some advice on doses and drug interactions, which is all very helpful in, in avoiding uh, potential problems. But as you say, increasingly, PCTs are commissioning and programming additional software that links into these clinical systems to provide more detailed advice on on local formulary choices. The main GP clinical systems are produced nationally, but this software is programmed locally in order to give clinicians a steer on what are the sort of first and second line choices, and also some of the safety issues that might be relevant to prescribers to be aware of. So what we use this editorial for is is, is an opportunity to discuss both the benefits and the possible difficulties with, with these systems. That sounds interesting. Moving on, the first article in this month's issue is on silver dressings. It's a well-known fact that silver has antimicrobial properties, and this underlies its use in, in a variety of different wound dressings. But the, the amount of money the NHS spends on this is becoming increasingly significant, and last year accounted for approximately a quarter of the amount spent on all wound care dressings. Yes, well, as you say, the, the NHS spends many, many millions on, on dressings, and an increasing proportion of this is taken up by, by silver dressings. So what we've used this article uh, as an opportunity to do is review the evidence for uh, silver in a variety of of different conditions, burns, leg ulcers, uh, foot ulcers, uh, and other acute wounds, to see whether the evidence actually supports this this growing use of silver in in clinical practice. Um, So given the high level of expenditure... Um, does the evidence really support and can we justify how much how much is being used in primary care at the moment? And hopefully we, we come to a, a reasonable conclusion at the end of the article. Thank you, David. In the second article in this month's issue, we have a look at vagus nerve stimulation for epilepsy. Poor control of seizures is a major problem in epilepsy and approximately 50% of patients in the UK have a poor control of their seizures and this has a major effect on various aspects of their life. Vagus nerve stimulation is increasingly used to help control seizures and worldwide has been used in approximately 50,000 people. In this article, we review the evidence for vagus nerve stimulation and have a look at its place in epilepsy. And here's David again to explain a little bit more. Thank you. The vagus nerve stimulation device is, is, is a very small device implanted over a patient's chest wall and it links directly to the vagus nerve in the neck. Uh, the technique itself is is fairly straightforward these days, and there's quite a lot of evidence uh, accumulating around how effective it is. Um, many centres in the UK now use this as a, as a reasonable option for those patients that you've already highlighted who, who struggle to get control of their epilepsy. So what we've done in this article is is to look at the amount of evidence that's out there for its for its use, and relate it to some of the national guidance that's been produced by people like Nice to set it in some sort of context and and give people some steer on whether this is a, a useful option for patients who are struggling to maintain um, good seizure control. And the final article in this month's issue is a summary of a recent DTB survey amongst subscribers on their views on herbal medicines. 
Along with the uh, summary that appears in the issue online, we've also published full results of the survey and a longer podcast in which we discuss the results of the survey with a couple of experts on herbal medicines. Um, do you have anything you'd, more you'd like to add to this, David? Well, what we found was a particularly interesting set of results from this this survey. It, it sort of built on something that DTB covered many years ago, back in 1986, when we looked at uh, herbal medicines safe and effective. And some of the issues that we identified then about the availability of information and about clinicians' knowledge are still very relevant today. And so the research was really to find out how much both clinicians know about the the use of herbal medicines and what they think patients believe about their about their use and it's thrown up some some very interesting uh, answers around patients faith in in herbal remedies but also the perhaps the lack of knowledge that that clinicians have both about what they use for um, and whether actually patients are taking them so we would urge people to, to read the full results of the survey and also to have a listen to the to the podcast that's great thank you david if you'd like to read these articles the full results of our survey and the more extended podcast please visit our website at dtb.bmj.com. For more information about this programme and other BMJ Group podcasts, go to podcasts.bmj.com.